All right, we hope that you're well today and are so glad that you've chosen to join us for our service today. Now, today what we're doing is we're going to be beginning a new series, which is going to be entitled Abide, The Power and Beauty of God's Word. And we know that the Word of God is important in our lives. And when we're referring to the Word of God, we're talking about the Scripture, the Holy Bible, which is the clearest communication that we have of God's thoughts, His heart, His ways, His plans and purposes, not only for your life individually, but for humanity at large and for the world as we know it. Now, the thing about the uh, Word of God is that it's God's also clearest communication to us, that whenever He communicates with us day by day, maybe you have uh, already committed yourself to a daily devotional time where you read the Scripture, we know that God can speak to us individually. But the beauty is, is that not only can God speak to us individually, but He speaks to us as a people, as church communities, right? Maybe you've been in a local church before and you've heard a word, not just for you individually, but for your local congregation. And in addition to that, what we have the privilege of every year is to come together with our greater body and family of churches called Every Nation and really focus on a place in the Word that we believe God is going to have us to uh, really dig into to set the pace for our year to come. And this year, that theme is going to be abide and uh, really exalting the person of God through his word and the importance of his word in our lives. Now, I'll say to you uh, from the get-go that we want to do this because ultimately we are made to know and be in relationship with God, but there is no truly knowing God or being in relationship with him without the authority of his word in our lives. Because what we'll see as we go through this series is that the Word of God is not just a book to be read, but it is a person to be known. I'll say that again, that the Word of God is not just a book to be read, but it's a person to be known. And this is going to be how we begin this series, by focusing on this theme that the Word, the Word of God became flesh that the Word of God, in fact, became flesh. And our focus statement for today is going to be this, that the Creator of all things invites us to know Him through the Word who became flesh. The Creator of all things invites us to know Him through the Word who became flesh. Well, as we listen to this series uh, or this sermon, what is the objective? Well, we hope that our uh, as you listen to this series or this particular message, you'll grow in understanding and appreciation of God's divine invitation for you to know Him. That God actually gives you an invitation to know Him intimately, personally, but properly and truthfully through His Word. And if we choose to believe and then live out that which the Scripture is communicating to us, what that will provoke us to do is to commit to living a lifelong journey of getting to know God through engaging His Word. The Word of God or the Bible won't be just something that sits on a coffee table or just something that you get around to every now and then or only engage even on a Sunday morning when you might find yourself at church. But instead, part of your walk with God will be founded and grounded in that Word who, as I said, ultimately became flesh. So today, if you have a Bible, you can open to John chapter 1. This is where we're going to start today. And the Gospel of John was actually written by one of Jesus' 12 disciples, one of the 12 apostles who walked with Jesus, talked with Jesus, 
who saw his life, his sinless life during his earthly ministry, saw his miracles of opening blind eyes, opening deaf ears, and raising people from the dead, saw his not only divinity proved in that fashion, but even the predictions of his crucifixion, where he would take the punishment that you and I and all of humanity deserves because of our disobedience to the word of God, to the commands of God. And he, on the cross as a substitute, took the punishment that we all deserve in sacrifice and died. John was an eyewitness to this, but he was not only an eyewitness to that, but he was an eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus three days later. That by the power of God, because of Jesus' innocence, by that same word and the same predictions that come from those scriptures, Jesus rose from the dead on the third day to give not only forgiveness of sins, but eternal life and new life to all who would put their trust in him. But it all started with the testimony of this word who became flesh. So let's open in our Bibles today to the beginning of John, the Gospel of John, the introduction, starting in John chapter 1. And it said this, In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's go down to verse 9. It says, The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glorious from the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth." John, in this case, meaning John the Baptist, bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. And so we see here, John talking about the fact that the Word became flesh. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your eternal Word. And we thank you that you've given it to us, that we might know you, that we might see you clearly, that we might love you, walk with you, and please you in all of our ways. God, I'm asking you that today you would open your word to us and help us to understand the importance of the scripture, to help us understand how it reveals to us your mind, your heart, your ways, not only your plans and purposes for our lives, but for the world at large, and that you would help us to receive you, not as we wish you to be, but as you truly are. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so what can we learn from this word? Well, the Bible says at the very beginning that in the 
beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now, this is important because some of you have heard of this term before called the Trinity. And this is at the get-go, from the get-go, Trinitarian language. And the Trinity, as we know it, is God the Father, Jesus the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. And what we see is that when God is talking about himself, God is saying, ultimately, he came to that which is own, but his own didn't recognize him or receive him, which is an important thing because of the fact that we've got to know that this Trinitarian God is a self-revelatory God. We may be like the blind men who are trying to figure out what and describe what the elephant is like in our search of God. Some of us might be at the trunk saying that God is like a long hose, long and slender, flexible. <laughs> Others might say, no, 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 uh, wrapping our arms around the legs. No, God is like a great tree trunk, strong and sturdy, immovable. And others of us might be at a tail end, touching the tail, saying, no, 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 God is actually like a snake or a broom that you can brush things up with, clean out your life if you need to. And others might say, no, 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 holding onto the tusk, God is like a spear. He's strong, but he's also sharp and penetrating in everything that he does. All blind men trying to describe the God who is. But what we see very clearly from the scripture is that though we're like blind men, God is able to see clearly and not only see clearly, help us to see clearly through his word. And he reveals who he is through that word. The word of God is important because the word is God. Not only was it with God, but it is God. And the word ultimately became flesh. This is what John is testifying to. And F.F. Bruce, a scholar, once said it this way. When heaven and earth were created, there was the word of God already existing in the closest association with God and partaking of the essence of God. No matter how far back we may try to push our imagination, we can never reach a point at which we could say of the divine word, as Arius did, there was once a time when he was not. What God was saying from the get-go is that just as the Father is eternal, so is Jesus the Son. Just as the Holy Spirit is eternal, so is Jesus the Son. That this God, one God in three persons, is described as the Word. And that Word is eternal, without beginning or end, and that Word made himself known. So people often ask the question, isn't it enough that I just believe in Jesus? And to that, I say yes and no. It's important that you believe in Jesus because as you believe in Jesus, that is the source of your salvation. Your faith in Jesus, his identity, and what he's done for you is the source of your salvation. However, it's not just enough that you believe in Jesus, but what you believe about him is just as important. What you believe about him is just as important. And we will respond to Jesus based on who we perceive him to be. The whole purpose of the Gospel of John is ultimately to help us 
to see Jesus for who he really is. This is clearly stated in John chapter 20, verse 31, when John later summarizes the entire gospel in this way by saying, but these things have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the savior of all mankind, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And my faith for us today and throughout this series is that we would not only learn about Jesus, but that we would experience Jesus through his living word. That is God's intention whenever he's given us his word, that ultimately the Bible is about you being able to experience God because God is making himself known to you. You're not having to figure out who God is, but God is telling you who he is. And by him telling you who he is, you're able to respond to him and experience him. So let's read again, John chapter one, verses one through three. It says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So in this passage, we see the word referenced several times. And when I talk about the word, I'm talking about the actual W-R-D, the word. Now, the Greek word here for word, the Greek word for the phrase word is actually a term called logos, L-O-G-O-S. The Greek term is called logos. And this shows up over 300 times in the New Testament. It's talking about the word over and over and over again, that the word of God was preached. And when the word of God was preached, many people became believers. It's preached over and over again, but there's something unique about how it's used, this word logos in John chapter one. The logos, it says, was with God. And indeed, it says, was God himself. So it wasn't just something that was communicated, but this Logos was with God and in fact was God himself. The Logos was in the beginning and created all things. This ultimately points us back to the creation story found in Genesis 1. You can notice the similarities in the beginnings of Genesis and in John, we know that Genesis was the beginning book of the Bible, or the beginning of the Torah, right? Where you had the first five books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And Genesis was literally the book of beginnings, how God started everything. How did God create? Because what we see was that it was in the beginning, there was just God meaning that though God created everything and there was nothing that was made except through the word of God, which became flesh. So nothing was made that we see around us except that was created through Jesus. What he's saying is that before anything was created, there was God. Before anything was created, there was this word. Meaning, before anything was created, there was Jesus. Before there was anything created, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit had unbroken, perfect fellowship with one another. 
And then out of that fellowship, they created. And that's what Genesis 1 talks about. We see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, it said, um, <clears throat> started, well, starting in verse 1, it said, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, much like our lives before we know God, before we know Jesus. We're formless and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Darkness fills our lives. Darkness fills our actions. Darkness fills our thoughts and our emotions. And the Spirit of God, though, was hovering over the face of the waters, just like God hovers over our lives to ultimately invite us into relationship with himself and draw us to himself. But verse 3 said, And God said, Let there be light. And it says, And there was light. So God spoke by his word, into the void, and then, then it was so. That's what verse 3 tells us. But it wasn't just verse 3. It goes on to, to verse 6. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And when God spoke it, it was so. Verse 9, And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And God said it, so it was so. Verse 11, And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And God said it, so it was so. Verse 14, And God said, And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night. And let them be signed for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And God said it, and it was so. Verse 20, verse 24, verse 26, again continues the creation story. Over and over again, it repeats the fact that God by his word spoke, and whenever God spoke, it was so. So there was nothing that was created except by the power and the authority of God's word. But who was that word? And what do we know about that word? Well, we know, according to John, that that word became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. But the very first thing that God spoke into existence through his word was light. And just as God's word brought light to darkness in creation, even so, God's word would once again bring light into the darkness. When we read in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, he says this, that in him, meaning Jesus, was life. And the life was the light or the animating presence of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And that's good news for us, right? He says he came to shine in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome it. So whatever darkness you're experiencing, whatever torment you're experiencing, whatever bondage you're experiencing in your life today, God says that through his son Jesus, the word who became flesh, he's coming to shine his light upon you to break through that darkness and that darkness in your life will not be able to overcome the light of God in your life through Jesus, his son, when you receive him as he is. This light is none other than Jesus himself. And we see Jesus revealing himself as a light throughout the gospel of John. 
In fact, in John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. What does Jesus mean when he says that? Well, a light brings illumination to any room in which you find yourself. And it shows you how not to stumble over things or objects that might have been in front of you, hidden things that might have hurt you. It also shows you how to be productive in the room in which you find yourself. And in the same way, Jesus, as the light of the world, the one through whom all that we see around us was created, was ultimately the author of relationships. He is the author of our time. He's the author of our emotions. He is the author of family. He is the author of uh, uh, finances. He is the author of anything that we would steward in this life or enjoy. And he says, as the light of the world, I'm telling you how it all best functions. And through my word, you will know my thoughts. You will know my heart. You will know my ways and how to do it right. When you do it my way, my light will illuminate it for you and it will work well for you. Your relationships will be blessed. Your finances will be blessed. Your career can be blessed. Your child rearing can be blessed. Why? Because the light of the world is illuminating for you that way in which his creation works best. That is the point of his word in our lives. And remember, I made this statement earlier, we will respond to Jesus based on who we perceive him to be. Not everyone, though, in his time responded properly to this light. In chapter 1, verse 5, it said, the darkness did not comprehend him. It says in verse 10, the world did not know him. And in verse 11, his own did not receive him. Why is this important and what does this mean? If we read the rest of the gospel, we see this play out in the life of Jesus. That there were those who rejected Jesus shows us a lot about the condition of the world. That Jesus, though everything was made through him, it rejected him. That we intrinsically, there's something inside of us testifying to the fact that Jesus is the epitome, is the perfect moral teacher, is the perfect man, the only one to ever do it sinlessly. He is the perfect, uh, not only a uh, moral teacher, he's the perfect wise man. He is the perfect uh, a miracle worker. He is the perfect picture of a God, uh, not a wrathful and vengeful God, but a merciful God who takes wrath upon himself that his people might go free. He's perfect in every way. But the fact that we reject him, despite this, shows us a lot about the condition of the world and even more so about the condition of our hearts. It means that it's possible to be around the word and totally miss who he is. To be around the one that we're actually all in our heart of hearts looking for, longing for, wish that we would be around and still miss him. For example, if you've ever watched the TV show Undercover Boss, you can see what it looks like when the boss is right in front of someone and the person fails to recognize it until it's too late. 
There was a recent episode, in fact, about, uh, I think it was Golden Crust, which is a, uh, a famous Jamaican restaurant that restaurant and um, uh, maker of bakery, baked goods uh, that I've enjoyed with my family for many years. And they had them on the episode, how the boss went undercover to actually walk amongst his employees and actually see what was going well and not well with the business, find out what needed to be fixed, and ultimately come and reveal himself and say, all right, now that I've had the inside scoop, I see what's going on in the company and know what needs to be fixed. Now I'm going to not only enact changes in the company so that it works better, but I'm also going to be a benefactor. I'm going to help particular individuals in the company that need help that I've been able to interact with. That's the same type of thing that God does with us. He came and walked amongst us and we did not recognize him. The boss was here, and we didn't recognize him. But now through his word, he's showing us again, I'm telling you, I'm here, I'm making myself known, and you need to receive certain things about me. But as much as this passage in John chapter 1 reveals the nature of the human heart, it reveals even more the nature of the heart of God. And that's good news for all of us. The word that created heaven and earth became like us. That's the point of the incarnation, that he became, the word became flesh. And years ago, Dr. Rice Brooks wrote a gospel summation that begins with this sentence. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus. And the idea of God becoming man is difficult to believe for some, even scandalous for others. How could God lower himself to be a man, people ask? And yet there's something beautiful and amazing about the fact that the word became flesh. And it's amazing and beautiful for at least three reasons. The first of those reasons is that it reveals about God that the creator of all things desires to be near. You know, we just came out of the Advent season and we recognize the birth of Christ, the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And he was told, that the, the, his parents were told to name him Emmanuel which means God with us, that God desires to be near to you. God desires to be near to me. He doesn't want to be a far off God that we do not know or that we think is unattainable or unreachable. God says, I come and I make myself not only known, but I'll make my, I come to draw, my, to draw near to you. Again, John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. What this means is that he came close enough that we were able to see his glory, not just hear about it, not just think about it, not just philosophize about it, but he came near enough, near enough that we could see his glory. Thus, you have the Gospels, the biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which were eyewitness testimony to what he said, what he did, his life, his miracles, death, burial, and resurrection. He lived the life that we were supposed to live. And what kind of life was this? It was a life that reflected God's glory in a powerful way. This is why Athanasius, the great man of God and theologian in his book on the incarnation of the word said this, even so was it with the all-holy son of God. He is the, he, the image of the father came and dwelt in our midst in order that he might renew mankind made after himself and seek out his lost sheep. 
even as he says in the gospel, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. And the word, the phrase, when we look at uh, John 1, 14, that said he came and dwelt amongst us, it's translated into one word, eskenosin. Um, That's a word in the Greek meaning pitched a tent or encamped. So what God says when he dwelt among us, it means that he literally pitched a tent or encamped amongst us. And this points back to Exodus chapter 40 and the time of the tabernacle when they, the Israelites coming out of Egypt set up a tabernacle so that they might meet with God. This also looks ahead to, uh, ahead to what John the Apostle, the same writer of the Gospel of John, wrote in Revelation chapter 21.3, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, talking about the end times, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Meaning that God desired to be near. He didn't want to just command from on high. He desires to be near to you, and he desires to be near to me. But what else does the scripture tell us? It tells us that number two, the creator of all things, desires to be known. John 1.18 says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. That's what another translation of that same verse says, that Jesus came to explain the Father so that he wouldn't be a mystery, right? People always talk about God works in mysterious ways. Maybe so, but this mysterious God comes to explain himself to us so that we might know him, not just be near him, but actually know him, walk with him, love him, be loved by him, and please him in every way. The reality is, is that we don't know God as we should, but God was willing to humble himself to make himself known to us. And as we go through John, we see God revealed through the life of Jesus. That's why towards the end of Jesus' earthly ministry and life on earth, he had the conversation pointing this out to his disciples. In John 14, verses 8 and 9, it says this, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been, with you so, um, uh, been so long with you, and yet have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? So Jesus was ultimately saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the second part of the Trinity, you've also seen the first. If you know me, you know the Father as well. If you know me, you're going to know my Holy Spirit as well. Because we're one and the same. And that's the beauty of God. He says, not only do I come to draw near to you, not only does he come to draw near to me, he makes himself known. But he makes himself known by the Logos, his word that became flesh. And that we have written today that we might know him clearly and intimately. But number three, it also shows us that the creator of all things desires to be received. He doesn't want to just draw near. He doesn't want to just be known. He wants to be received. This is why in John 1.12 it says, But as many as have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. What this means is that God reveals himself through Jesus, not so that we can simply have 
more knowledge. And this is important if you're academically oriented. A lot of times you'll hear messages like this and you'll say, oh, that's interesting, the Greek word, or that's interesting how these things were played out in history and its time, its context. But it's not enough that you just know about God. He says you must receive him. Just as if somebody made a marriage proposal to you, it's not enough that they just express their love to you. To actually come into relationship, you have to receive them as they are. And in Jesus' case, it is as Lord of all. He says it's not enough that we have more knowledge, but rather that we receive him. But the question is, how will we respond? Will we reject Jesus like so many others in his day? Or will we receive him by striving to be near him and by knowing him? But not just knowing him in a, an esoteric way as if we make God into our own image. And we make God based on our own preferences or what we think he should look like or what we think he should sound like. How he would react to our sin or overlook it. We have to receive God according to how he's revealed himself in his word. Why? Because the word became flesh so that he might be near, he might be known, and that he might be received. Not as you make him to be, but as he truly is. And so today as we end our first uh, part of this series, we want to give everyone the opportunity to come to a place of repentance and faith. Faith in the reality of who God's revealed himself to be by his scripture, by his word that became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And repentance, changing our mind, going in a different direction, and submitting ourselves to that word, which can mold and form and shape us, not, not allowing us to mold and shape God into our image, but instead allowing God to reshape us into his everlasting image through his son, Jesus Christ. And so I want to first pray for anyone who says, you know what? I have lived a life full of darkness and I know that I've lived in sin and truth be told, I've tried to make God who I wanted him to be and never really submitted to him as he truly is, as revealed to his word, holy, righteous, and true. I've lived in all types of sexual morality and drunkenness. I've lived in all types of theft and lying or adultery. I've lived in all types of lust and dishonoring of my parents and those around me. And I know that if I were to stand before this God today and be confronted with his word, according to his word, I'd deserve death and hell, justly and rightly. But I don't want it. And I want to receive today who he is and what he's done for me. Not only that he became flesh, but that he lived the perfect life I should have lived. Sacrificially died on that cross for me. So I might be forgiven and was raised to life that I might have eternal life in him. If you realize that about yourself today and have never come to Christ, but want to do so today, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I admit to you today that I am a sinner, which means that I've simply missed the mark. And though you've received your, uh, revealed yourself to me in your word, I've been like those of Jesus' earthly ministry, who though he walked amongst them, we didn't recognize or receive him as he really is. And that's been my life up to this point, but I say no more and no longer, and I'm sorry for my sin. I know I deserve death and hell because of what I've done, but I don't want it, and I thank you 
that you sent your word. You sent your son who became flesh in Jesus Christ and lived the perfect life I should have lived. And on that cross died that sacrificial death that I deserved in my place. But because he was innocent, three days later you raised him from the dead so not only could I have forgiveness but new life in you, eternal life in you. God, would you forgive me today? And would you make me a new creation? I proclaim Jesus my Lord and ask you to teach me how to follow and obey him through this word for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Now the good news is if you prayed that prayer, God said he's made you a new creation. So would you go with me to our website, secondcitychurch.com slash newlife. There you can find not only resources, but next steps of how to walk out this new life in Jesus, the word who became flesh, according to the scripture. And we want to also be here with you to stand with you. So come on out to our congregation. Come on out to our church where we can stand with you, encourage you, pray with you. But even today, there are people who want to pray with you. So if you click on the link below, there will be somebody you can share your testimony with and also share your what you need prayer for as they stand with you today. And for the rest of us, let's repent. If there's been any way that we've given ourselves to living according to the ways of the world or designing God in our own image rather than the image of his word. Let's repent today and ask God to reshape us according to that word today. So Father, I thank you for my brothers and sisters and I thank you that you've given us your word that we might worship you, but worship you in spirit and truth as you desire. And God, we're asking that you would help us today to be cleansed of any type of duplicity, any type of syncretism, any type of, uh, uh, of uh, mixing with the pattern of this world. And instead, we'd have an unadulterated love for you and faith towards you as we receive the word who became flesh in our lives. Would you lead us? Would you guide us? Would you bring us into your plans and purposes for your glory from this day forward as we live according to this word? In Jesus' name, amen. All right, what a wonderful time this was to share this word with you. And let's go back into worship now and honor the word who became flesh as we learn to abide in him. <laughs> 